Amen, amen. Amen. Not only is the Word of God profound, but it's very profoundly practical. Uh, you know, what I like about the letters of Paul, Paul is really, really theological in the first half. In the second half, he gets real practical and tells us how to walk it out. Now, if I as a pastor don't tell you how to walk it out, I have failed. Because, hey, how many of you know it's one thing to get saved? It's another thing to live it. Can I have an amen? It's one thing to get saved and go to heaven. But it's another thing to crucify that flesh, to deny the world, the flesh, and the devil, to battle in spiritual warfare, and to bear fruit to the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And that's, it, listen, it's a, how many of you know it's a battle every day? And I see the church in America getting to the place where um, if we're going to meet, we're going to have to decide to meet against all odds. See, that's why I say wild horses couldn't make me shut down again because I'm not going to let these things block us from worshiping because we've still got freedom to come together and worship. Amen? Amen. Now, last week I began a series called Killing Conflict. And I want to just do part two today. I've entitled it Forgive Quickly. It's not the only thing I'm going to be talking about, but I am going to be talking about forgiveness. Now, let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 28. And listen to the practical uh, advice that Paul is giving us by the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. And by the way, who's he talking to here? Christians. Everybody say Christians. Now look what he has to tell Christians. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Everybody say amen. He's talking to who? Christians. They need their minds renewed. So he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. That'll heal a thieving mentality quickly giving to others instead of taking from them. Amen? Now, verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Everybody say with me, quit your cussing. That's the revised Wickwire slanted version of what we just read. He's saying, quit your cussing. Okay? Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all. I want everybody to read this with me. You ready? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. He says, get rid of it. And what does he say in verse 32? Read it with me. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Amen. That's a, that's a, that's a mouthful right there. And I'm going to be focusing mainly on verses 31 and 32. Lord, thank you for your word today. Renew our minds. Help us, Lord, to kill conflict before conflict kills us. Oh, God, help us today to walk in peace like children of God, to be peacemakers and not strife makers. Help us, Lord, to walk in peace in our homes, peace in our workplace, peace in our interpersonal relationships. Help us to be people of peace and unity and blessing. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, peacemaker. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm speaking on this topic uh, because we're living in a day and hour that is highly stressful and toxic. This is the end of the summer, and I think school starts this week or next week. It kind of varies on the school district, but um, it's been a long, hot summer in more ways than one. We're, we're in a culture that is very stressful and very toxic right now. Anger seems to be the rule of the day. We're in an angry culture. We're in a hostile culture. We're in a, a culture that is increasingly violent. It seems like, have you noticed, everybody's offended about something, uh, and, and those offenses are causing unresolved anger, explosions of temper, violence, murder, broken relationships, and broken homes. We're in times of stress. We're in a stressful culture. And here's the deal. Christians are not uh, immune to this cultural toxicity. We're not immune to it. Christian homes and marriages are under attack. Long-standing Christian friendships and church affiliations are under strain and stress because of the stress and the toxicity of this culture. I often think of the Apostle Peter's description of, of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, and you'll remember he moved his family to Sodom. It looked good when he did it, but it really went bad on him. He was being uh, driven by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and not by God, and he lost everything for moving to Sodom. Yet, however, uh, Peter calls him a righteous man. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, uh, and he says, and if he, that is God, rescued righteous Lot, who was tormented by the immoral conduct of unprincipled and ungodly man or men, verse 8, for that just man, Lot, while living among them, felt his righteous soul. Can you identify with this? He felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by what he saw and what he heard of their lawless acts. How many of you can understand that? Be sure that, Peter assures you and me, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial, and that, in, that includes you and me. The Lord knows how to sustain us in the midst of a toxic culture. The Lord knows how to maintain us. He knows how to lead us. He knows how to strengthen us. He knows how to help us. He knows how to guide us when we find ourselves in the midst of a culture that vexes you day by day because it's gone so far down into sin and depravity that every, if, you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then, then every day, it, it, one way or another, it vexes you. And I can understand that. I have to watch what I read, the news, because within one minute, I'm feeling vexed about what I see, the direction I see our culture going in. It is amazing to me. If my dad, who was a conservative man by nature, uh, he's, he's been gone for a number of years now, but if he were here today, my dad would not believe it. He would not believe what has happened to America. And see, folks, we've got to understand that as Lot was vexed and found himself in the midst of a wicked culture, so do we. Abraham's nephew 
was tormented in his soul, vexed and grieved on a daily basis by the depraved words and conduct and toxic culture of the society in which he lived. And it took an act of God to deliver him from it. And now here we are in our own toxic culture where good is called evil and evil is called good. Can you believe it? Where God's creative order is being overthrown regarding marriage and gender distinctions between male and female are being insanely blurred. Babies continue to be aborted at record rates even into the third trimester. God forgive us. And biological science is willingly ignored in order to advance a confused and perverse agenda. We're denying reality in order to have our way. We're in a toxic culture. We're in a a culture that has gone crazy, that has gone insane. Can I be honest with you today? Our culture has lost its mind collectively. And these things bring stress and pressure. As we quoted last time, Paul the Apostle warned about the last days. He said, understand this, in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. And we are there. Great stress, great pressure, times that are hard to put up with, hard to bear, hard to endure. We're there. So so the reason for this series on killing conflict is so that the truth of God's word might deliver God's people in the midst of this culture from killer conflict and keep us safe in the eyes of the storm. Amen? So today I want to look at the nuggets of wisdom that we just read in Paul's writing uh, to the Ephesians. Now he begins by addressing killer emotions. You know, killer emotions lead to killer conflict. Amen? Amen? He says this, look at this, he homes in on our our emotions. He says, I want you to get rid of, I want you to lay it aside. I want you to put these things down. I want you to, like, like you take a jacket off and put the jacket down. I want you to put down these kinds of emotions. I want you to put down bitterness, lay down rage, lay down anger. I want you to lay it aside. I don't want you walking in bitterness as child, children of God. I don't want you walking in rage. I don't want you walking in anger because Harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, spring out of those emotions. If you're thinking it, you say it. If you're bitter or if you're full of rage or anger, then it's going to decide what you say and what you do. And Paul says, as children of God, I want you to lay these killer emotions aside because these are the emotions that lead to conflict And conflict, as James told us, and we quoted it last week, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God doesn't want us, as as his people, walking in, in these emotions. So he says, don't be an angry person. Amen? Always walking around with a chip on your shoulder, simmering underneath, easily triggered. Don't take anything to set you off. He said, I don't want you walking in that. Don't blow up in anger. Don't utter harsh, hurtful words out of an angry spirit. Don't let anger be the spirit that drives you, but let the Holy Spirit be the spirit that drives and leads and controls your life. Amen? 
Now, I'm telling you, Paul, with these instructions, with what we read in our text, he's going to meddle with us. Now, how many of you don't mind God meddling with your stuff? Because he's going to meddle with our stuff right here. He's meddling with our stuff. A lot of people won't go to a church that preaches anything that meddles with their stuff. Leave my stuff alone. Just tell me I'm going to be rich and drive a Bentley and have a mansion, and then I'm going to get the best parking lot at Walmart, and then leave me alone. But no, Paul told us how to walk it out. Because see, when, when, you're not, when you're not taught what the Bible really says about living it out, then you live defeated lives. We need to hear what God has set us free from and what he has set us free to. Amen? Yeah. So he says, don't, don't, don't be a person that blows up in anger. Don't utter harsh, hurtful words out of an angry spirit in your home, in the workplace, in your interpersonal relationships. Don't let anger rule you, control you. Ask God to renew your mind and deliver your spirit from an angry disposition. Don't be an angry man. Don't be an angry woman. Don't walk in that. That that, that is not the spirit of God. That's flesh. And God hasn't called us to walk in flesh. Amen? It's a work of the flesh. And we also need to ask God to help us with what we say and how we say what we say. How many of you say, no, you can say the right thing with a wrong spirit? How, how many of you know you can say something right, but the tone is wrong? God says, I, 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 want, I want the Spirit of God to rule your life and control your life so that, listen to what the Bible says, Proverbs 15:1. watch this, a gentle answer. That means a gentle response in, in, a, in a tense situation. A gentle response deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers explode. That's the power of words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can say one word in the middle of a tense situation, and there it goes off the rails, right? And then he gives us three alternative responses. He said, instead of walking in an angry spirit and uttering angry words, he says, instead of reacting in anger, be kind to each other. Everybody say kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving. One another. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now I want to just unpack these things, these three things. First, be kind. Be kind. Don't be mean, but be kind. Kind means pleasant, gentle, easy. The the God of the Bible is kind. How many of you are so thankful for the kindness of God? How many of you can say, this week he was kind with me? How many of you can say, I wouldn't have been kind with me, but he was kind with me, and I thank God for the kindness of God? Jesus said this about God in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, he himself, that is God, is kind and gracious and good, even to the ungrateful and the wicked. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Do you know that God today is causing the sun to rise and blessings to fall on people who every day curse his name? People who every day don't even give him a thought. And yet he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That's our God. He's kind. He's not vindictive. He's kind. He's not mean. He's kind. Now, if he's my father, I ought to be a chip off the old block. Amen? 
I ought to be a chip off the old block. And so I'm to be kind. He's, Paul says, be kind. Don't, don't be angry. Don't utter harsh words, but be kind. Have you ever noticed some people are like grabbing a cactus? No matter where you grab them, they stick you. You know anybody like that? They're always on edge, always mad, always a, a defensive. Have you ever noticed anybody like that? Other people are like holding a little puppy. Even if you treat them harshly, they come back to lick you. They're kind, they're forgiving, they're gentle. So Paul says, you too, be kind, be pleasant, say pleasant things, offer compliments over criticism, smiles over a frown, be kind, be kind, work on being kind, work on being a pleasant person to be around. Are you pleasant to be around? Are you, am I pleasant to be around? Well, probably a mix, right? Come on, everybody. Get your halos off of the top of your head. Sometimes, it depends on what side of the bed we wake up on, right? But now God says, God says, I want you to work at it. I want you to let the Holy Spirit put the fruit of the Spirit in you. And I want you to learn to be kind. I want you to be pleasant. I want you to be pleasant to be around. I don't want you to be like a cactus. If somebody gets around you, they are going to get stuck. No, I want you to be kind. I want you to be pleasant. Kindness will help kill conflict. Killing conflict is the name of this series. And being kind will do it. But he also said, be tenderhearted. Do you know the tenderhearted is from an amazing Greek word uh, that refers to our internal organs? We could say it's a word about your guts. Tenderhearted. It literally means living with guts. So what does that mean, Jeff? Uh, the idea is the word to show gut level compassion to the hurting. It's to flow out of our deep inside. When we see somebody hurting, we're, we're to be merciful and kind and be tender-hearted because it's flowing from our guts, from deep within. We are having a gut response to their pain. It's real. We're not just saying it. We're feeling it. It's from deep inside. So when we see somebody hurting, we have a gut. You know, many of the miracles Jesus did the Bible tells us he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion on the widow whose, whose dead son was being carried past him in a funeral procession. Jesus walked up and he made the funeral procession stop and he raised the boy from the dead. It says because he looked at the mother who now had not only lost her husband but her son. And it says he was moved with compassion. What did he have? He was tenderhearted. He, he, he was moving. He was moved in his guts. He had a gut response with the blind. He was moved with compassion with the crowds that had no food. He was moved with compassion. Our Savior was always moved from within by the pain and the hurt and the suffering of other people. Tenderhearted is about being merciful and loving and empathetic and naturally caring for other people. And so instead of attacking somebody in a conflict, try to be merciful with their faults and shortcomings as God is with yours. Amen. You know, there are people whose hearts are like cement. They can look at somebody suffering and they don't feel a single solitary thing because they've been hurt so bad in their lives that they have scar tissue over their soul. And they have told themselves, I'm never going to feel again because when I felt, I got hurt. So I'm never going to feel again. I am now going to be an island, not a bridge. I am going to be isolated. Nobody is ever going to hurt me like that again. But that is a wrong response to adversity. God says, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. 
The sun is the heat. The heat of trial, the heat of pressure, the heat of conflict, the heat of pain. And some people melt in the heat and they grow more soft and more loving and more compassionate. But other people say, not me. I'll never be hurt again. I am now going to harden my heart. And that's a wrong, wrong decision. God says, be kind and be tender hearted. Be tender hearted. But I don't want to be hurt again. Well, Jesus got hurt all the time and he remained tender hearted. Paul writes, so God has put the body of Christ together in such a way that the parts have the same care for each other that they do for themselves. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 12, if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. See what God is saying? Have you ever had a hangnail? Have you ever noticed a hangnail can hurt so bad, your whole body is looking at it and paying attention to it and crying over, I got this hangnail. Your mind's thinking about it, your eyes looking at it, you're telling people around you this thing. I can't believe there's more pain per square centimeter in this hangnail than anything I know. And your whole body is looking at it and focused on it. And that's the way it's supposed to be with the body of Christ. When one little part hurts, the whole body is supposed to suffer and hurt with it. That's tender hearted. So he says, everybody say with me, be kind, be tender-hearted. See, this kills conflict. This kills conflict. And then he says, lastly, forgiving one another. And I want to look at this more than anything else. Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, I want you to notice that the number one reason we're to forgive is because God through Christ has forgiven us. That's the number one reason we're to forgive. And that's the one, number one reason why we can't not forgive. Because God forgave us, we are to forgive one another. He said, well, Jeff, I'll do it when I feel like it. You're not going to feel like it. I've never felt like forgiving somebody that betrayed me or hurt me or wounded me. I've never felt it. It's never a feeling. I'm not feeling driven. I'm word driven. But I've never felt like it. You can't wait around till you feel like it. You'll never do it. It's an act of obedience. Jesus told a parable about a man who owed millions of dollars to a king that he had served for many years. And when the king ordered the man to pay up, he didn't have near enough because he was in debt millions of dollars. So the king ordered him to be put in slavery along with his whole family till the debt was paid. Jesus says, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. But then his master was filled with pity for him, tender-hearted, kind. And he released him and forgave his debt. Now, notice the man was only asking for patience so he could pay it back. But the king forgave the entire debt, cut him completely free. He owed him nothing. He was totally released from his debt. He forgave his debt. That man went out. And he promptly found somebody that owed him thousands of dollars. And the man didn't have it. And so the forgiven man, the one forgiven millions of dollars of debt, threw the man into prison who owed him thousands. Refusing to forgive him as he himself had been forgiven by the king. 
And word got back to the king of what the man had done. And listen to what the king said. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now listen to what Jesus said. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Everybody say, that's heavy. Yeah. Uh, You get the idea here. It's, It's very easy to see the intent of the parable. The man that had been forgiven millions of dollars of debt couldn't find it in his heart to forgive another man mere thousands of dollars in debt. Now, here's the truth about you and me. Jesus is telling us, you and I, all of us, every one of us here who have come to Christ and have been born again and saved, we were forgiven a debt we could never have paid off. He paid a debt he did not owe, the song says. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Here's the deal. We owed God millions and millions of dollars in sin debt. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all when Jesus hung on the cross. Oh, thank God for the cross. Thank God for the cross. Because the cross, watch this, the cross points up and it points this way. It points horizontally and it points vertically. I know I say this a lot, but I'll never quit saying it. It points this way horizontally as if God is saying, come unto me. And let me embrace you by the death of my son. And then once you come unto him, he takes you up. It goes vertically. He takes you into his presence. One day he takes you into heaven. Thank God for the cross because on the cross, my sin and your sin fell on Jesus. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Thank God for the cross. Cross is where Jesus bled and died for our sins, and nobody else did that. Buddha didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. Confucius didn't do it. No other world religious leader ever did it. Jesus is in his own stratosphere. He is in his own realm. There is nobody like him. He's king of kings, lord of lords, higher than all names. Jesus Christ alone paid the debt. Here's the point. God forgave you and I millions of dollars of debt. And here comes somebody that hurts us to the tune of thousands. They hurt us to the tune of thousands. You know what the the message of the parable is? Nobody can do to you what we did to him. You get it? Do you get it? Really get it? Well, I don't feel like I did that much to him. Don't you? Your sin and my sin put his only begotten son on the cross. Yeah. So the point of the parable is nobody can do to you what we did to him. And if he forgave us millions, we can always and must always forgive thousands. (laughs) 
I pray through the Lord's Prayer most every morning. Um, it's just my little handle for prayer because it covers every need of life. There's nothing the, the Lord's Prayer doesn't cover. You start out praising Him, you end praising Him, and in the middle, it takes care of your daily bread, takes care of His will of God, the will of God being done in your life, takes care of forgiveness because you can't get away from the Lord's Prayer without saying, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. So you can't get away from this if you just do the Lord's Prayer every day. And every day when I pray that, I, I say this, I say, Lord, Yes, people have wronged me. Sure, I've experienced people wronging me, betraying me, doing things that they shouldn't have done. But they, they didn't come close doing to me what my sin did to you. So, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. Because you forgave me enough sin that it would have sent me to hell for all of eternity. You wiped the sin away. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so I say, I forgive so-and-so, and I forgive so-and-so, because, yeah, that's thousands of dollars worth, but it's not millions, it's not trillions, it's not what I did to you. And that way I can forgive anybody. Y'all are so quiet here today. You're making me nervous. I'm kidding. Now, I believe that Jesus, in closing today, is this strong about forgiveness, because he knows that unforgiveness will become a root of bitterness that sabotages the rest of your life. Now listen to me as I close. This is so important. The book of Hebrews warns, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, being very watchful, being very cautious, lest any of you, me included, fall short of the grace of God. That means miss God's grace or fail to allow God's grace to help us forgive. Because if we miss the grace of God, the minute you're offended, God's grace is there to help you to forgive. And if we miss the grace of God, he says, what's going to happen is you're going to get a grudge and, and the grudge turns into a root of bitterness and it goes down. And he says, first it goes down and, and it's a root, but then it comes up as a fruit. And when it comes up as a fruit, it causes trouble. Springing up, it causes trouble. And by this, many people become defiled. Many people become affected by your and my bitterness. Because bitter people can't keep it to themselves, all right? They want people bitter with them, all right? So somebody said this about bitterness. Bitterness blows out the candle of joy and leaves the soul in darkness. The root of bitterness is the result of being hurt and not handling it by the grace of God. Now, listen carefully. I love you. I, I love you enough to tell you the truth here. There, there's some people in here. You've got a grudge. You're bitter. And, and watching and listening later by radio, there's people that you've got a grudge and, and it's turned into bitterness and it's gone down as a root. And I want you to listen carefully. Nobody is worth your future in God. Not anybody. The root of bitterness is the result of being hurt and not handling it by the grace of God. You've got to forgive quickly. You've got to give, you've got to give an offense no longer than a 24-hour shelf life. Don't give an offense. Somebody hurts you, says something, does something, uh, either real or imagined, but it's real to you, and you're hurt. And your hurt uh, is, is becoming anger. 
you're hurt and angry at the same time. How could they? How, how could they do that? How could they say that? How could they go there? I, I expected more of them. I thought better of them. Or I thought this or that about them. I thought they were my friends or whatever it is. And they hurt you. And the hurt becomes anger quickly. Now, if you give that longer than a 24-hour shelf life, it's going to go down. It's going to begin to put down a root. You ever notice how fast a weed grows? Bitterness is a, is a weed. I mean, I've seen weeds come up overnight. I said, where were you yesterday? I didn't see you yesterday. It's crazy. And you see it this tall in the morning and it's this tall when you get home from work. It's like, what was up with this? That's the way bitterness works. Bitterness goes down into your soul, into the soil of your soul. And it takes root and it grows deeper by the day. The world's full of people who have never dealt with an old hurt, an old offense, and it has driven the rest of their entire life. Now that's the root of bitterness. Listen, there is no person, if if you're driven by an offense, you're not being driven by God. If you're driven by an offense, that offense is controlling you, not the Holy Spirit. That offense is controlling you. You may even have somebody controlling you from the grave. That dad, that mom, that uncle, that person, they can control you from the grave because you're still angry and haven't forgiven. That's the root of bitterness. Now, as the root goes down, the fruit grows up. What's the fruit? The fruit of bitterness is that it will affect you physically, emotionally, and spiritually because the fruit of bitterness is an acid that destroys its container. I've noticed a bitter person tends to be hypersensitive, ungrateful, because you see, everybody owes the person who's bitter. You owe me. I've been wronged. You owe me. I don't owe you nothing. You owe me. I'm bitter. I'm mad at life. Our country's full of these people. They're, they tend to be insincere. Bitter people hold grudges and they have mood swings. They're up one minute, down the next. Bitterness causes their life to be like this. That's the fruit. He said, but Jeff, look at what they've done. You don't know what they've done. I've got a right to be bitter. I'm never going to let them off the hook, but they're not on the hook. You are. You're on Satan's hook. If you're being offense-driven. Some of you are going, I wish I'd stayed home today. No, you don't. Because you need to hear this. Because nobody is worth controlling your life. Nobody. You're on the hook. Satan's hook. Don't you know that Satan's number one attack weapon with the church of Jesus Christ is offenses? You know how many people are not in church today? Not just here, but everywhere because of offenses. They're allowing their lives to be offense-driven instead of spirit-led. It's so true. Well, I don't like what you did. I'm out of here. I don't like what you said. I'm out of here. But see, here's the deal, sweetie. You land somewhere else. And wherever you land, you take your baggage with you. And you unpack it in your new house of worship. <laughs> Ooh, I'm on a roll today. I'm t- <laughs> (laughs) 
People say, oh, good, so-and-so has come to join our church. And then before long, you smell the skunk. Because they're bleeding on everybody. What happened over there? And we do the same thing with our homes, our marriages. Offenses stinketh. Right? So, so you got to get yourself off the hook. Get yourself off the hook. Because you're on Satan's hook. If you've got bitterness, you're on Satan's hook. And he's got a plan for your life. And his plan for your life is that you stay on that hook until you breathe your last. And what did he do? He kept you from bearing fruit. He kept you from glorifying God. He didn't keep you from heaven, but he kept you from fulfilling God's purpose and destiny for your life. Stand up with me. So everybody say with me, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive quickly. Well, Jeff, I'm so overwhelmed with offense and anger, I just can't bring myself to forgive. You can bring yourself to say it. I, I forgive. It's true. There are people I've had to say it over and over again until my spirit caught up with my words. But eventually, because death and life are in the power of the tongue, you can say it until it's real. You can say it because he told you to say it. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your peace. Now, Lord, we come to you and we ask you to help us to kill conflict in our homes, kill conflict at work, kill conflict in our interpersonal relationships with other people. Help us to practice the law of kindness. Help us to be tenderhearted. Help us to quickly forgive before it puts down a root. Now, I want you to pray with me, dear church. If there's anybody, you need to forgive. Listen, the minute you forgive, you let two people off the hook, them and you. Two people got set free, them and you. So I want you to say with me, Lord, I forgive. You forgave me millions of dollars in debt. I forgive them. And name them. Name them. I forgive them their thousands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. sing I'm no longer a slave let's lift our hands and sing it one more time thank you Lord thank you Lord and I'm no longer a slave to fear no I am a child of God Yeah.
your sin on the cross. Give him a hand of praise. Amen. Amen. Amen.